I've got the privilege of uh, taking this last of the three talks on 2 Timothy, and uh, I, I was given chapters three and four, and um, I'm, obviously there's a lot in them, and I'm not going to be able to cover every verse, but uh, I feel there is a theme that's pretty clear, which is the central importance of the Word of God for your life and for your ministry. And what I'm going to read, we're going to read a section of it. We're not going to read it all. I'm going to read a bit of an extract. But um, there's a, a, fra- a sentence of, Tom, of Augustine, St. Augustine, that I have in my mind as I begin to read this. I want you to have it. He said, where the Bible speaks, God speaks. Okay? Augustine said, where the Bible speaks, God speaks. So, as we read what's going to be a few verses of three, then we'll drip down to the end of three and the beginning of four, I want you to hear God speaking to you. Hear God speaking to you. This is the word of God. Where the Bible speaks, God speaks. 2 Timothy 3. But mark this, there, are, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, 
Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Amen. Lord, I pray as you speak to us through your word and my words that we will be changed this morning. I pray, Lord, that we will go away profiting from this word. Holy Spirit, I ask you to build something into us. Straighten us out if we need straightening out. Encourage us where we need encouraging. Lord, build us up where we need building up. Feed our spirits, feed our souls. Holy Spirit, come. Work with the word as you love to and feed your servants. Amen. Now, Paul who obviously originally wrote these things, but they're the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul lived his life aware that he was living in the last days. And he was either deluded, because that was a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, or there is something very important and precious to get out of that. Because it comes out several times actually in those short verses I've read including the beginning of chapter 4 as you see you know, living conscious that one day he's going to meet Jesus living conscious that that's coming soon not just because of the execution but because of the times he lives in as well as the fact that he will probably shortly be going to meet his Lord one way or the other he lives conscious of that now we too must live conscious that these are the last days. They are the last days. And actually, that we are all going to meet Jesus face to face soon, one way or another. But, you know, these really are the last days. I'm not going to go onto a lengthy eschatology. I don't need to, really. But we are living in what is, by God's standard, the last, and God's plan, the last era of human history. We are. Now, there are many ways I could put this. I actually have chosen to give you a quote from Christopher Green in his book, Finishing the Race, which is based on 2 Timothy. So if we could have Christopher Green's quote, he says it. I think he puts it very succinctly and well. The last days have begun. The end of the world began when Jesus was raised from the dead. It was the first day of the last days. The day when we shall be raised from the dead will be the last day of the last days. So in between the first day of the last days and the last day of the last days lies where we are today, the last days. You don't need to get more complicated than that. (laughs) The last days are the era we live in. And the characteristics laid out in the first five verses of chapter three will be repeated characteristics of the age we live in. These will be some of the dominant themes of the state of the world and sadly, The very context here is that those worldly attitudes will penetrate the church. That's what Paul goes on to talk about, the bits that I sort of skipped over because I want to keep focused. But basically, this attitude, these attitudes, which are outstandingly accurate, I don't know if you felt it as you read it. I mean, this could be 21st century Britain. 
the modern West. Paul's writing it 2,000. These are the characteristics of the last days. And he says they will be terrible times. Now that word means terrible, difficult. It's a word that was used for raging stormy seas or for wild animals. These will be difficult times. We live, brothers and sisters, in difficult times. And sometimes it's more obvious than others. It's very obvious at the moment. And actually a theme that I'll come back to a couple of times is that I think we're now in a normal world. Think our particular country, Britain, Christians have had it remarkably good for about 150 to 200 years. Now we're with everybody else historically and most of the world or increasingly getting with everybody else. These are the characteristics of people outside of God and before they meet Jesus, the characteristics laid out here. And they bring some terrible consequences. Now Paul says, mark this, or God says, mark this. Don't be naive. Take notice of this. Opposition to the truth, opposition to Jesus will be a recurring and permanent characteristic of the world we're in. Don't expect everybody to suddenly think it's all cool to be a Christian. People will be saved. This isn't going to be a downbeat message. But don't expect them all to keep patting you on the back for being a Christian. It's no good lying low and hoping that the storm will pass. It won't pass till Jesus comes back. That's the message here. Whoa, let's pull our horns in a bit. Let's be careful. It's a bit rough at the moment, you know, with all the stuff going on around us. It's always going to be rough. It's like a raging sea all the time. You have to work out, by God's grace, how to negotiate it. The only valid response to the sobering truths laid out here come in those verses 14 and 15, really, where Paul says, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learnt it and basically hold on to the scriptures. That is the only answer, the Bible. And it is really relevant to us at this time. So I'm going to talk four points. The first one, I'm going to talk about the sufficiency of scripture briefly. The sufficiency of Scripture. Now, this is actually, as some of you, most of you probably know, you could say it's one of those things you learn uh, in terms of theology, the sufficiency of Scripture. But let's, let's tie it to life. Have you ever thought the Bible is very out of date? It's quite awkward and embarrassing and clunky. And I do not find whole chunks of it easy to read. And I'm not sure that I'd want my friends to know quite a lot what's in here. Have you ever wanted to update the Bible? Have you ever wanted to say, well, look, it doesn't really speak to me and my situation at work or my battles with sexuality, my battles with morality, my battles with singleness, my battles with marriage, my battles with life, with finances. The list is endless. I don't feel it really speaks to me. Now, if you've felt like that, Be encouraged at one level, because I doubt there's anybody in this room that hasn't felt like that. I have. I have. But what you are doing at that point, and what I was doing, is you are doubting the sufficiency of Scripture. So you've been naughty. (laughs) And now we are going to pull you back. 
Here's a brief summary of what it means, the sufficiency of Scripture. Could you pop it up, please? The Scripture contains everything we need for knowledge of salvation and for godly living in our day and generation. That is a very succinct summary. I think it comes from Kevin DeYoung in an excellent little book called Taking God at His Word, which I read at some point in the last few months when I was thinking about this. Very good little book. But it's a wonderful brief um, thing. The scripture contains everything we need to, for self, to knowledge of salvation and for godly living in our day and generation. It's exactly what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, we've just read it, verses 15 to 17. This book can thoroughly equip you for every good work in 2022, 23 and beyond. It is sufficient for you in this day. Again, this is Kevin DeYoung. We do not need to add to Scripture to meet today's challenges or subtract from it to mesh with today's ideals. This is a younger man than me writing, just to let you know, not a funny old man. Oh, we don't understand. I do understand. I do understand. I've got grandchildren at uni. I've, I've talked to them at school. I do understand. And that's sometimes quite troubling. But I believe that you don't need to subtract from Scripture to try and fit it with today's ideals. Yes, of course, we can all doubt the sufficiency of Scripture sometimes, and we can feel a bit embarrassed by it. We'd rather hear things that are just comfortable to hear, rather the terminology of today, rather talking in very, very modern ways that sort of blur the edges a bit. I'm not, it's not about the language. It's about not saying quite what the Bible says. We'd rather sort of, uh, you know, just hear stories, which are great. I love to hear stories. Love to hear testimonies. Let's just hear stories. Let's, let's not get the rather clunky Bible open and read it. No, no, we mustn't do that. We must not do that. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is God revealing himself. This is not a record of human beings trying to understand God. It's not. This is God revealing himself. It's God breathed. Augustine, where the Bible speaks, God speaks. We have to say, God speak to me. You're sufficient for me. No other writings on earth are like the Bible. Let's not back off this. This is not just another religious book. This is unique. And actually, if you've done an alpha, you'll know there's very many respectable reasons for saying this is a good, unique book. It's not quite the same as any other ancient document in lots of ways. But we want to rise above what are very valid factual points and say we know that this is inspired by God. This is God-breathed. God has given you his word and his words to feed you and to help you. Now, it is amazing how quickly any group of people, any movement, any church can drift from this. And the most amazing thing is to think of what we've just read. This is the first century. This is the early church. This is Paul writing. Say, John, yes, you're telling us the obvious. Yeah, but did you see what he wrote? <laughs> we didn't read everything here. There, there, there are people going off track now when he's writing. In the first century, the early church, people who'd actually heard the Apostle Paul himself. What a privilege 
You've only got John Groves. What if you had Paul? Well, you'd still need to be careful you didn't go off track because they were going off track. Honestly, it's sobering stuff. And just because we are who we are, you know, New Frontiers, Terry Virgo, brilliant. You can go off track. They were, and Paul was pulling them back and reminding them of Scripture and its importance and what it meant. Every generation is in danger of drifting within the lifetime of its founder. Within the, within the lifetime of the one who led you to the Lord, which would have been Paul in this case. You are in danger of drifting off. Challenging this morning, will you continue to believe the Bible? Will you continue to live your life in submission to God's word? Now, it is applicable to us in New Frontiers. I'm not gonna rant. I don't think we're miles off course or something. I just think we have to be real. We have to be real. Are we going to be foolish like the people who are here or are we gonna keep to God's word? Are we going to literally do what it says here, which is verse 14, which I would want to bring as a prophetic reading for a moment to us, a part of Commission New Frontiers. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. So I feel verse 14 is for us in, in, in New Frontiers and Commission. Continue what you learn. Yes, you can go on developing and honing things. We, no one is set in concrete, but, but, you know, things you've been convinced of, don't move from. I'm always amazed that people who seem to be convinced about all sorts of things, I won't go, I could rant at this point, I have to be careful. <laughs> it's been known to happen, <laughs> just occasionally. But you think, I thought you were convinced of that. Why didn't you hold to what you're convinced of? Well, let's do it. Let's be convinced of it, but then hold to it. And let's trust those through whom we learnt from. Don't back off. Freshen your faith in the sufficiency of Scripture. Let's move quickly on. Scripture is sufficient for personal life. For all of us, whoever we are, whatever we do, however we lead, we need to let the Bible shape our lives first and foremost. Firstly, it's for you. <laughs> before you preach, before you lead, and you perhaps are in an area nothing to do with church leadership, although I guess in some broad sense you might be a marketplace church leader because you'd be here, that's why you're here, but that's not where you work out a lot of your leadership. This is not about anything like that, it's about you, Any, every one of us in this room. Scripture is sufficient for our personal life. We're told it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That is so good. Do you not realise you must live in the reality of salvation through Jesus Christ? You, you, could, you know, some, I didn't go to it, Marion didn't, thoroughly enjoyed it. The uh, seminar on de detox thing, Holly, uh, uh, Howard and Holly did. I mean, it's basically bringing you to the, anything like that will fundamentally be bringing you to the gospel, to repentance and faith and what Jesus has done for you, who you are in Christ. That is not to belittle, that's to build it up. When I say it quickly, it can sound as though I'm just, no, no, no. We always keep needing to understand. We go on being saved. We go on living in Christ. You must do that. You must, oh, repeatedly through my life, 
And it's quite a long life now. Repeatedly, God has brought me back to basics. I sometimes have said, when I felt low or confused, I find I get saved again. That's not true. I do believe in Reformed theology. But but I'm not an Arminian, closet Arminian. But I do believe, I do believe I come back to why am I even saved? What, what other answer is for the world? What about my own sinful heart? You know, what else would make sense? You know, it's gotta be Jesus. Read something very straightforward, like something in the Gospels that you know, or, or something from Romans or, or Ephesians. And just, just feed yourself on the truth. It's, it's gonna make you knowledge for salvation, but you're gonna live in it every day. Can I say, however busy your life is, please don't give up reading the Bible and praying. Read the Bible for yourself. I know it's not always easy to find time. I honestly am a real human being. I do know. I was 10 years a school teacher and for four of those years, I was a local church elder, marketplace elder, and we had children arriving, which was something to do with what Mary and I were up to, but we had, (laughs) I don't know where they came from, but we had these children arriving and little children at home. And it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't easy to find time to read the Bible. I'm a school teacher, I'm doing that, trying to get kids through O-levels and A-levels. That tells you how long ago it was. I stopped being a school teacher in 1983. That would give you a sense of age. But I was 10 years a school teacher. Now, what, what, what I had to do, I know it's all changed these days. I used to have to find an empty classroom in the lunch hour when I wasn't on duty just to sit on my own and pray and read through the Bible. I just had to do that. I knew I needed it, either for my family life, for my personal life, for my teaching, and for my church, growing church responsibilities. Now, when I went full-time working for the church, I thought it would all be, it wasn't an awful lot easier. There was plenty of time in one way, but it was all under my, it was like more under my own control, which wasn't a good thing. And I felt the demands of church life. We won't get too lengthy on this. I felt people's expectations. They're paying my salary. I felt all that. I felt, it was like being a self-employed person now with your own little business. And you felt every bump in the road. I still had to discipline myself to read it just for me. I was okay for preparing sermons. That obviously was part of the whole neurotic drive anyway. But the... It was reading it for me. Reading it for me. Don't lose it. Let God speak to you. Let God speak to you. Work through it. Let it speak. It's a, it's a marvellous, marvellous book. I've got a verse here that I want to put up. I don't know if, if they're doing ever so well. There you go. You've got it. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I love this verse. We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, and we've got it from Paul as well. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. This is not just ideas. There's power in the word of God. You see, the Holy Spirit loves to work with the Word. And actually, I'd say part of the catalyst for that incredible reaction in you is your faith. And as you read the Word, faith comes. I can remember moments of faith. I can remember the first time I got 
some element of truth out of the fact of who I was in Christ from reading Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, those sort of middle chapters. And, and, and you get it. Oh, wow, this is what it is to be a Christian. And the weird thing is, and the wonderful thing is, you start to live what you believe. Because God says, now he's believing it at last. Holy Spirit, you can do something in that mug. You know, now the Spirit can work with the Word and stuff begins to happen. It's like a, a chemical reaction. The spark of your faith, boom, we're off. He's got it at last. And you need to still have those moments and look for them in your life. Crumbs, I can't remember. When we finish, when do we finish? 11, I haven't a clue. Lost it altogether. Right, thank you. There's another, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. Don't panic. I, I was panicking. Here's another Kevin DeYoung quote. The word of God is more than enough for the people of God to live their lives to the glory. That's a lovely quote. Let's not laugh it away. The word of God is more than enough for the people of God to live their lives for the glo- to the glory of God. What a beautiful sentence, but it's true. And I want you to know, wherever you work, whatever you do, what, you know, whether you're at home, stay at home, mum, stay at home, dad, which is more and more common, whether you're out in the marketplace, whether you're a church leader, full-time, blah, blah. This is true for you. The word of God is more than enough for the people of God to live their lives to the glory of God. The word of God is powerful, life-changing, like a two-edged sword, wonderful, wonderful truths. So let's keep reading our Bible. Let's move on. It's sufficient for public life. The Word of God is sufficient for public life. Now, we do live in very challenging times. And to be an authentic Christian, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christian in the public square is probably increasingly difficult. It's always been quite difficult, a little more than we realise, unless you stuck. If you, st- you soon found out if you spoke up, even in, in my day sometimes. Um, but uh, it wasn't really like it is today. So the Word of God is always going to challenge us about that. But let's be encouraged by a little bit here. Verse 12, Paul says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm laughing because it's just like so true and let's so like, oh, that, that's not over-encouraging, John. But it's the truth. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you'll hit trouble. People won't always applaud it and pat you on the back. Now I want to come back to something I br- brushed earlier. I think we have got to get our heads around the fact that we are coming out of, over the last few decades, we're emerging from a very unusual period in history. I love history, English and history are my subjects, and and I love church history and Christian history. And the more I thought about this, the more I thought, even in our own country, it's been quite a short window, relatively speaking, when it's been easy to be a real Christian. When I mean say short window, John Bunyan was in prison when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. I would think think he's a good brother. We'd have him in any of our churches. He's a good Bible-believing Christian. He was in prison. Some of the people we love to read, the Puritans, John Owen, for example, highly intelligent men who could have been and perhaps should have been, maybe even started off being 
senior figures in universities like Oxford and Cambridge were often sidelined, deliberately taken out of their role and put in a little rural parish to shut them up and keep them out of the way. Because they believed God and, and taught what we consider the basics of the Bible. They were the reformed teachers we love. And some of them, their whole job opportunities closed right down because of being a Puritan of that ilk. Even Wesley and Whitfield, when they started preaching, they had mobs organised to physically attack them. They had sometimes brewers, sometimes local magistrates, sometimes local churchmen, organised thugs to interrupt their meetings and were intimidating, physically intimidating, would get blood drawn from stones thrown at them, dead cats thrown at them. And we can smile about this now, but imagine that. Imagine, just watch some of the stuff you've seen on television when you see a, a mob raised in recently. You get up to preach and something very akin to that, like a group who are very anti what you stand for, fill the gap in yourself, are stirred up, not just stirred up in themselves, but legitimised to some extent by authorities. You can cause trouble there. We'd like them out of town. Now, this is in our own country. It's not surprising. Now, you could, don't even need to dwell on the thousands of years of history. People burnt at the stake earlier than that. It's not normal for it to have been as comfortable and easy as it's been through most of my lifetime to be a Christian. And we've just got a fact to live with the fact that we are not going to back off because it gets difficult, but it is probably going to get difficult. And I think the thing that's a bit of a shock to me, and I don't know if it's a bit of a shock to you, it may not be so much for some of you younger ones, but it's a bit of a shock to me, and quite disturbing, to realise that Christians are now considered bad people in our culture. And the Bible is considered a bad thing and a bad book. And the things that I consider excellent, like the missionaries going abroad, are considered bad people who are doing bad things. Now, obviously, some bad things happen, but hear what I'm really saying. That things that we would honour and love are considered, that was, that was awful, that should never have happened. Now, that, and it's very hard to convince people that Christianity isn't responsible for loads of wars and some of the worst excesses of colonialism and all the rest of it. It's actually quite difficult. So hang on, look at Jesus. Don't, don't look at, the, you know, even burning at the stake, if I might briefly say. I don't think Jesus or Paul would have encouraged people to burn their, uh, their, their opponents at the stake. So you've got to look at what the Bible says. But we're having to work hard at that now. And we are not considered nice people. Now that's new for some of us, but we've got to get used to it and we've got to live with it. And we must not back off the truths of the word of God. This book is bread, it's honey. Let it shape your worldview. It's so wonderful to hear someone like Meg speaking earlier, who's, who's working through, full of scripture, what she brought, working through modern uh, uh, battles, if you like, and bringing the Bible. It can be done. I'm not saying people always reject the Bible. They don't, but we have to work a lot harder. There's not the assumptions we could have made in my youth and in my, uh, I mean, I'm, when I was a school teacher, I was allowed to do assemblies. I looked after the, the Christian union. I could talk quite openly about my faith to the boys. We used to argue about things and, you know, it was fine. But it is a different world now. And actually, 
um, I want you to know that's okay. (laughs) But you're going to need to dig in and let this speak to you and strengthen you and guide you. So I do appeal to you, whoever you are, whatever you do, don't let the world squeeze you into the mould. Don't back off the Bible. Don't back off its truth. Now, you're not going to be able to go in and say, the Bible says, I understand that. You're not going to be able to quote some of the more, you're going to have to Think how you believe it, absorb it, and, then, and, and explain it to people in your language. And many of you will do that far better than I will now. Far, far better. But, you, but you've still got to be the word, brothers and sisters. It, we can't back off the truths in there and the principles in there. Let it shape your worldview. It will actually, let's be positive, it will give you many, many ways to be very good leaders. I mean... Servant leaders, we've heard about it. Very many ways to be far better. I've done talks on uh, leadership, which uh, people come to, I think they're Christians, so they're sympathetic audience, but who who lead in outside areas and say, oh, I'm going to pinch those sort of ideas. They'd be really good for my leadership seminars in my secular world. In other words, the wisdom of the Bible really stands the test of time. It is wonderful. So don't back off it. But don't be surprised if given the audience we have today, you, don't, you hit some bumps and some awkwardness just by even quoting maybe the Bible or mentioning God or Jesus. But we must be men and women of the word and spirit. Sufficient for public life. Let's move on to the last point. Sufficient for preaching. Now obviously, you get this magnificent passage. 2 Timothy 4, we read it. And of course, this is a major focus if you are a preacher. Just one quick aside. Uh, Preaching is proclaiming the truth. And we all do some preaching, even if we never stand on the platform. Acts 8.4, you can look this up another time. It's not going to be on his screen or anything. Acts 8.4 tells us that when there was persecution uh, and the ordinary Christians were scattered, they preached the word wherever they went. They preached the word wherever they were. So you will know preaching is proclaiming truth. It's bringing good news. It's, they proclaimed the good news of the gospel wherever they went. So in a sense, whoever you are, you are a preacher of some sort. But, and these principles apply. But obviously, it is a probable focus, given that it's Paul to Timothy and the, the audience we have here, that we are talking about preaching in a more classic sense as a church leader might. And we need to take the charge here from Paul very, very personally. And I've thought a lot about this. I don't, in the end, I'm, just, I'm not going to say an awful lot. I'll probably say a bit more than I expect because that's how things go normally. But <laughs> I just want to give you two quotes from Jim Packer and two magnificent little books. Again, I've told you about Kevin DeYoung. Jim Packer, a book called uh, what's it, now, Truth and Power. And another one called God Has Spoken. Both are by Jim Packer. Excellent little books to read. Now let's just read these quotes. Let Jim Packer, who's now gone to glory, just speak to you if you're a preacher. All the great preachers of history had as their first goal in preaching to become the means by which their hearers encountered God. The first purpose of preaching is not to pass on information or to convey the preacher's best thoughts. The proper aim of preaching is to mediate meetings with God. 
let that sink in for a minute. Let that dear saint speak to you. That's wisdom. That's something like we're reading, what you've learned from those who've gone before. That's what you're doing when you're preaching. You're mediating God. You want people to meet God. Let me give you another one. There's only two. Let's give another one from Jim Packer. Preaching is human communication through which God himself communicates. It must, therefore, be soaked in the word, heavily dependent on the word, and substantially consist in conveying the word. God will be perceived to speak through us as preachers only as we are enabled to make plain the fact that it is really the Bible that is doing the talking. Let it sink in, brothers and sisters. Let's hear from this dear man. That's why we're word-based. Not because we're frightened of getting it wrong, not because we're some sort of nerdy sort of stink. No, no, no. This is God speaking. And I, it's not my thoughts aren't the issue. All I can do is explain and expand what God said. And so almost taking that literally, let's, in the last five minutes, let's just as we finish, just flick the verses that we have in front of us here and let them speak to us. So here we go. Verse four, uh, chapter four, verse two. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Do what it says. Don't go on too quickly, please. Thank you. Could you go back? Just do what it says. Okay? In season, out of season. Hang on a minute. We're heralds. Preaching is herald. Herald's like town crier. You announce news. It isn't to do with how you feel. When people announced news in the old times, when they were town criers or heralds, it didn't matter how they felt. It's about the news they're bringing. And actually, it didn't matter what the people in front of them were doing. They didn't have to warm their audience up. People were busy in the streets buying things and selling things. Hear ye, hear ye, stop and listen. This is the news. Actually, it, it, it is important to be sensitive to your congregation, but it's not about where they're at. It's what's God given you to speak to them this morning? What's the news this morning? And I don't know if you've had a bad day or a bad week. That's irrelevant. I don't know if they've had a bad day or a bad week. That, that they need to hear the news. Now, some preaching will be addressing those bad weeks, but that isn't the issue, really. You're preaching the word. Let's keep going. In season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. I think that's wonderful. Don't just preach stuff that feels good. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Is another, it's not on the screen, I'm probably, uh, I'm just quoting him. Jim Packer said, preaching is teaching plus application. To pass on biblical content unapplied is to teach or lecture, not to preach. So you're applying it to their lives and you are correcting and you're encouraging and you're rebuking and you're not avoiding difficult things. Let's be quickly now, three, four. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires. They gather around them, people, teachers that say what they want to hear, and they'll turn their ears away to myths and truths. So we actually need to press on beyond those common problems. It's not unique today. 
It's not unique today. We do need to teach sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine simply means, I think, pretty much being clear what it says in the Bible. Don't avoid being clear. Probably backed up with the fact that this is what Christians for the last 2,000 years have believed what it said. So major sound doctrines are usually, it looks pretty obvious what it's saying, and surprise, surprise, for the last 2,000 years, Christians have felt that it means what it obviously says. And so that is sound doctrine. Don't back off it and try and excuse it. Let's go on to the next one, verse 5. But you, remember this is also speaking to you, it's not just John Groves. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Keep self-controlled. Put up with it if people complain or make it difficult for you. Don't lose your head. Don't get all umpy or insecure. Put, you know, keep calm and just dig into God and proclaim what he gives you. Discharge the duty of what you're called to. Do the work of an evangelist. Now you could spend a long time on this, but I just want to say something. I have always found that preaching the Bible as clearly as you can is very evangelistic. I've been a church leader for probably, I've been preaching for over 50 years, maybe, I don't know, since the late teens, so I've been doing sums, in my 50, over 50 years. And I would say, I would say, I have, thank God, by his mercy and grace, seen scores of people saved on an ordinary Sunday morning preaching. That happened, I was privileged to see that happen at Celsi, Beacon Church Celsi, only in, the, in August. I think it's okay not to get funny and to just do special stuff, just preach it in a way people can understand it with life and you'll be surprised at the fruitfulness. And for much of my ministry, not the last 20 years, but for much of my ministry, I was in Hastings. Hastings is is a fairly working-class, run-down place. Just one little thing crosses my mind as I talk to you. I remember once going up to Darlington, as it happened, to help a church there, and the church was under 100 people. And in some random way, I found out how many graduates were in the church in Darlington. And it was more than I had with 350 people in Hastings. Okay, so I want to explain to you there were very ordinary people, roofers, you know, people who fitted double glazing, people who just hadn't much education, you know, all sorts of lovely ordinary people, and they got saved and they listened to 40 minutes of the Bible. Don't get silly about that. It's about the content, it's not about the length, it doesn't have to have loads and loads of amusing extra bits. Just let God speak to them. Amen. Amen. Discharge the duties of your ministry. It's about serving God. It's not about your role or your title. I've lost roles and titles. I've had them and lost them over the years. And the last 10 years, I've lost several of them. But, (laughs) But in the end, it's serving God as long as he calls you to. And in ministry. So let's let dear Jim Packer, close the meeting. Let's have a last quote from Jim Packer. Can you put it up, please? History shows that Christian witness is strong and effective only when believers are humble enough to believe nothing less about God than his own word tells us. Just let that sink in as well.
That is true. History proves that. Don't back off, brothers and sisters. Believe the word. Apply it in your own life. Let it help you, even in your secular leadership and teaching. Live the word and preach the word. God bless you.